So before we open, uh, or I open with prayer, I was going to make some uh, kind of uh, joke about practicing sinning this week. And as I started reading the lesson more, I realized that if there's one thing that we should not ever joke about, and that is sin. Because sin is what separated us from God, and it was... um, it was taken care of at a terrible price, and that price was the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so I realized that, that joking about sin or asking something like, how, how have you been practicing sin, is a wrong thing to do. And, that, and we should never take it lightly because of the price that was paid to remedy sin in our lives. And as we'll see in this lesson, it not only brought, kicked people out of the Garden of Eden, it also brought a tremendous judgment on the world, and that is in uh, what happened with Noah. And so um, there will be no lightheartedness that I'll start with uh, joking about the topic of sin. So anyway, let's uh, open with a word of prayer. Father God, we truly thank you for the privilege we have to open your word, the opportunity we have to look in the book of Genesis and discuss what's going on with Noah Um, what had gone on at that time and I thank you for your faithfulness and your grace and I pray that uh, as we look at these passages and talk about this that we can understand it in a better way thank you for this Father God and I pray this in Christ's name and for his sake Amen so we're going to start with and I'd like to read uh, the first passage and you have it listed I handed out a handout, and there's the scriptures that we'll be looking at, as well as some others uh, at the top. It's called the Family Connection, and we're in Genesis chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 5, and then read on down for a bit in that. And this is God's judgment on the world, and and for reasons that are listed there in uh, the first part of 6, verse 3. Genesis 6, verse 3. Lord God said, My spirit will not remain with mankind forever because they are corrupt. Talks about how life had gone on there and the fact that it was getting worse and that in this time period uh, prior to the flood between uh, Adam and uh, the flood in, uh, in this. So anyway, starting in verse 5. When the Lord saw that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme in his mind thought of was nothing but evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off from the face of the earth mankind whom I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl and birds of the sky for I regret that I made them. Noah, however, found favor in the sight of God. And then it says, these are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. Noah walked with God. And Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the world is corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt the earth was, for every creature had corrupted its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. And then it goes on to uh, the creation of the ark and what went on. But let's, before we do that, I have a printout for you. And I think there's a couple of things that I'd like to go with before we kind of uh, go through this lesson. 
and that is if you look at the top of that printout I handed, and it's on page the second half of the page there, I have some uh, definitions, and one is anthropomorphic, and I think that's a big word, and I think it's, it's uh, important that we recognize it, and it's describing God's actions in human terms. And we can also do it for animals. Um, if you think of Bugs Bunny, he's a character that's a, obviously a rabbit, but he's described as having human qualities. And so it could be used as a kind of a humorous thing. And in uh, anthropomorphic and describing God's actions in human terms, if you look there at the verse, um, let's see, uh, the word regretted. That's, a, that's a, an example of um, a human action being described to God. And that's one. And then also uh, we'll see it again when uh, Noah offered up a, um, a sacrifice to God. And it was a pleasing aroma in that to God. And those are human qualities that we would uh, ascribe, we're ascribing to God so that we can better understand how God uh, accepts what we're doing or how God feels in that. And so that, when we see that, I want you to recognize that. And then the other thing is I want you to look at is the next word, which is regret. And usually we, we uh, focus on the first two definitions that I have listed there, and that is feel sad or repentant. We're sorry about something we've done. We regret having... Um, lied to an individual we regret having uh, like when I get pulled over and get a speeding ticket I regret having speeded at that moment that's my uh, uh, pastor Ken had balloons I have a speeding ticket so <laughs> and that uh, and uh, anyway so but the one I think that we need to look at that describes God is disappointed over something done he was disappointed in what man had done between the creation and between Noah. He was disappointed in how they had become corrupted. He was disappointed in how they were wicked. And that is why there is a judgment brought. Um, I don't think that he regretted having made man because he's God. And that leads into the next thing, uh, the known attributes of God. Um, I know we've had these in the past, but I wanted to print them up so that you would have kind of a, a list of them, if you will. Um, list the authors there at the end of it. But you can see that, that God, because he was all-knowing, because he has always existed, he would not have regretted like we regret doing something. And so I think it's important we draw that distinction. He was disappointed in what man had done, and so that's why the judgment was brought. And so please, um, you know, recognize that when you read this word regret here in uh, Genesis chapter 6. And mine is done as regret. I think most of your Bibles would also list it as regret. I'm not sure. Does anybody have a different word there in their translation? Yes. Sorry. Okay, similar. Anybody else? Different one, possibly? Okay. Anyway, usually that's what we think of. And so I think it's important to recognize that it wasn't like God had made a mistake. It's not like us that we make a mistake and so we regret what we've done in that. So, sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I don't think so. And so, 
Yeah. Yes. Yes. And the Guyan makes the point that how do you disappoint omniscience, which is an all-knowing God, and she's correct. I think for us to understand God's frustration, if you will, um, that's the words that we would use. If God is all-knowing, then he would have known from the time of creation. And then she brought up the point that at the next judgment, which will be the tribulation, it's a very similar thing. There's, he knows what's going on. He has a plan in place. And this is part of that plan, if you will, that this was going to happen. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and God makes the point that he sorrows for us. He's compassionate enough, and he has enough grace. And I think that's what we need to see as we look at this passage. Yes, Mary. Grieved, yeah, and that. But again, those are, those are words that we relate to as humans, and that goes back to the first definition I had, anthropomorphic. We're describing God's actions in terms that we can relate to. And I think that's the, the real issue. And again, why I gave you the known attributes of God, as you can see, this is just what we know about God because we're created um, in the image of God and we can only have so much knowledge. We can't know an infinite God. We can only know what he has revealed to us. And these are, uh, they don't have verses with them. I apologize for that. I was, uh, as I was working through the lesson, I just didn't you know connect verses to him but these are all definitions of God attributes of God that we can connect to and understand more about him and that um, the other uh, and we'll go through those other words uh, those other things I have the top there of that less or that handout uh, remember smell pleasing aroma omnivore and then capital punishment as we work through the lesson so um, the first thing we want to do is, is look at this passage and recognize how great sin was. There's two other verses I'd like to look at. Let's look at Psalm 78, and it talks about this. Let's look at Psalm 78, verses 40 and 41. Again, talking about us as, as humans and how we react to, to what God has done in that starting in verse uh, 40 how often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert they constantly tested God and provoked the Holy One of Israel there again is that idea that tested God we grieved him because of what we had done we disobeyed we violated his scriptures Adam and Eve violated it and it this this um, if we can understand how terrible sin is, we can really see it here in these first few chapters of Genesis. Enough to where God wanted to, to start over, if you will, and he saw Noah in that light as being righteous. And then let's also look at uh, Isaiah 63, verse 10. Isaiah 63, verse 10. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit, and he became their enemy and fought against them. This shows another, uh, shows the Holy Spirit being grieved because of the rebellion, our rebellion against God, and that. Um, 
the uh, commentary I'd like to read is the text says that God was deeply grieved, and this goes back to the definition I was giving you, over humanity's wickedness. The Hebrew word for grieved means pained or hurt is another way to look at it. Related forms of this word were used in Genesis 3, chapter 6, verses uh, 16 through 17. The painful effort of childbirth for the woman and painful labor. God was not merely angry over sin. He was pained by it. Sin, you see, is never primarily about transgressing rules, but about betraying a relationship. When we sin, we betray our loving God and hurt his heart. He takes sin personally. And so we see that not only there, not only in that verse, but we see that in uh, here in uh, Genesis chapter 6. Yes, Ted. Yes, in that. And, it's a, and I think that when we read those words, we need to, to relate to them personally and, and sense how God would feel about them, how he would take it, how he would, um, you know, if it hurts us when we're crushed by something or we're grieved, we can certainly understand how God would be even more so. Because he's the creator. He's the one who loved us enough to create us in that. So, yes. That's a, that's a good way to, to say it, Lorraine. In that, and she related the fact that it's, as we as parents are, 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 uh, are disappointed by our children, we're, but we're not thinking that they won't do those things because they certainly will. We did as kids. I know I disappointed my parents in that and uh, by actions and attitudes that I had. And I know my kids have, but my granddaughters haven't. They're perfect, just so you know, in that. Guyan so, brings up the point that God in his omniscience knows everything. So we're not being disappointed like a parent might be disappointed we relate to it that way we relate we understand how God may be but his omniscience and for Guyane I think for many of us his omniscience is a comfort it is a hope the fact that even though he did he knows he still loved us he loved us before the foundations of the world we have that hope he provided a way and that's what you know when you read the story of Noah understand it in those terms that God knew and he knew that Noah was righteous he was declared righteous before he ever did anything and it was by his faith in that so yes Sam yes and those emotions are real because we are creating the image of God so we have those emotions and those are God given it's nothing that we should ever be ashamed of in that and uh, but understanding how they function in our lives and what they're there for so um, there's another uh, part I thought was good here, um, and it kind of ties in with the attributes aspect as you see that list there, and that is that this judgment, this uh, flood brought um, judgment to the humanity, and it was a situation that uh, was, was it really that severe when we look at Genesis? Was it really that bad? We look at how bad our world is, and we think, wow, it could have been worse and obviously it was. And one of the things is, is that we, we see God, and that's why I wanted to give you that list, is that we see God as a loving God. But all of his attributes are held by him equally. One doesn't supersede another. Omniscience doesn't oversede over uh, forgiveness. Grace doesn't oversede um, love or uh, judgment or wrath. All those are held by God equally. Equally. 
and what's that perfectly and that is difficult for us to relate to it's difficult for us to wrap our head around and it's one of those things I believe that we have to it's a mystery of God and we need to accept it by faith and understand that this is what God says I am and so he holds all those I'll use the word tension because I think that's a good word for us to relate how we can be loving and yet we can also discipline our children because the first thing if you love me then why are you disciplining me but in God we see that he did that and one of the things that he did is he um, judged the world in what he did and let me read what they have to say here and hopefully you can grasp kind of what I'm trying to communicate because I think they do a good job uh, first is the notion that forgiveness means just letting things go if I forgive you it's okay just let go but they make this analogy if you wreck a friend's car and she genuinely genuinely forgives you for it the car isn't magically repaired there's still a cost to make uh, still a cost to make what is now right or wrong right again it still has to be repaired somebody has to pay that price the trend the transgression cannot just be let it go it has to be taken care of either you pay for it or I pay for it when there's damage done and that's what was done here in that and that's what we see in Christ is he paid that price God provided that um, and then second is the belief that God would be better off if he were only a God of love many of us have a lopsided view of God we want God to be loving and kind compassionate concerned with their lives without any of these ancient wrath business um, and yes praise God he is loving kind and near to us but God is loving and just and that goes back to what I said a little bit ago if we ignore the unity of who he is and who he was revealed himself to be then we create an unhealthy one-sided dangerous caricature of him if we only accept the aspects of God we like, we're blinding ourselves to the beauty and fullness of who God truly is. And that again goes back to those attributes that he holds all of those equally, that he holds them in tension, they're all balanced out, they're all done perfectly. When he makes a judgment, it is right. And when he judged these people at this time in the book of Genesis, that's, that was right that he did that. And then third is the idea of God's vengeance will make us a vengeful peaceful. But if you look at Romans chapter 12, 19, it says that, that God, uh, that vengeance is mine and I will repay. That's because God is just, because he's perfect. His justice is right. We have, our emotions are going to get involved. How many of us have seen um, 2020 or anything else and before we even get to the final end, we've already passed judgment on the person that carried out a crime and then sometimes we find out that justice justice was not served or that there's other circumstances that they bring into the show but we're always ready we always want justice we always want what's right we want what's right for the little guy for the underdog and then sometimes even for the big corporation if you will for the big guy you know because they've been treated wrongly all of us want justice in that and so it's important that we recognize that God is the one that is truly just because he, there's, no, there's no undue emotion involved in that when, we, um, when he uh, makes that judgment. The second point of our lesson is, um, I guess, first off, is there any questions on that first point? That God, uh, sin grieves God and brings his judgment? That's the first point we looked at. Okay, 
uh, let's go on to the second point then. Yes, yeah. Daryl brings up the point that that's a good question to ask somebody is where they get their sense of justice and, you know, what, where does it come from? The reason we have justice in this world is because God defines justice. I had this conversation last night with my sons over a, a, a movie and that, and it is God that defines justice. Otherwise, because if you go down the other path, if you go down the humanistic path, we all define what justice is in our own terms. And like Daryl mentioned, uh, and it's true, we've seen it all over the world, might makes right. What goes on in North Korea is right because there's a man there that will ex uh, execute his, his force of, uh, his definition of justice at his whim. And it may be today, it may be tomorrow, but if he decides that you need to go, you're gone. And that, and we in this country have a, a system of checks and balances that was rooted in the truth of the Word of God. Um, our justice system was based upon that for a long period of time, and has since faded away, unfortunately, slightly. slightly. And, and they're having problems because they don't know how to define justice. Because if a justice is defined by everybody, if Frank says this is justice and somebody else Andy says no this is justice then you see there's a conflict right there and so right away we got this tension that goes on and you know and it doesn't take much imagination you don't have to watch very much of the news to understand what's going on you got them pointing fingers at everybody and we do the same thing we define what's just yes yeah and this and Daryl brings up a good point that prior to the flood prior to this uh, uh, describing Noah as a righteous man there was no sense of government each of these leaders when you read uh, chapters 4 and 5 each of these uh, family leaders they all brought justice in their own terms some of them were good along the lines of Seth I would say were probably good but as time went along it got worse and worse because there wasn't anybody to call the police there wasn't anybody to to have order and so it became very chaotic and that and they didn't recognize who had created them and so they brought their own form of justice and their own sense and again it goes back to might makes right if I'm stronger than you we have the boast of several men in chapter 5 about how uh, they were better than Cain they were because they killed more men and they they were more powerful in that and so we see that 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 kind of terminology so let's go down to uh, uh, and actually I read those but anyway uh, sin brings judgment but God provides grace in that we're in chapter 6 and uh, we read 8 and 9 but let's drop down to uh, verses 17 through 22 and again um, God is, is talking here if you will and uh, to Moses he said understand that I am bringing a flood, flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life. In it, everything on earth will die. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, your son's wives. You are to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kind, from the livestock according to their kind and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kind will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten. Gather it in, 
gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God had commanded him. We see the obedience of Noah here. This is a lot of work. To gather, you know, the animals may have walked there, but the grain didn't walk there. The food, the plant life did not walk there. And so they had to go out and gather. They had to go out and create that. Plus, it's taken him um, a number of years to build the ark. Um, it's built out of a wood called gopher wood. The reason it doesn't exist is he used it all up. The ark's a big thing. And so, uh, and that. And we're not sure exactly what golf, gopher wood is. They thought it might be, one of the things I read said it might have been cypress or something like that. Something like, yes. There you go. There you go. That's, that's probably exactly the truth in that. And those of us who work with wood understand the time and effort it took to shape the wood. You know, it's, it's one thing to say, go get it. But those of us who build and work with our hands, we recognize the fact that it took a lot of effort to build this thing. And we have architects that tell us how long it should be and how big it is to be. He had the perfect architect. He said, this is what it's going to be. So God certainly gave him the tenacity, the patience, the strength, the physical strength to build this thing. They didn't have scaffold. They didn't have tower cranes. They didn't have equipment. They didn't have a forklift. The forklift was the three sons. Get with it, boys, you know, and, and that. So just think of the immensity, and yet God provided for them. He gave them a vision to see what they needed to do, and they went with it. And I think that's pretty incredible in that and granted he lived a long time and I can appreciate that but it still took time you still got to get up every morning you still got 24 hours in a day and you still got to make you got to do something and sometimes it can be immense yes Craig he was mocked you know yeah yeah years and that so it's important that we we recognize how that came to be about because it certainly was a a vast accomplishment. Yeah. Adeline brings up the point that as, uh, as Noah's wife, you know, and Noah raised these sons in an environment that was evil and that, you know, we look at what we have today and it was even much more so back then, you know, and yet they raised them and they abided by it, that the wives had families that probably, per well, did perish in the flood because they weren't, they didn't believe what Noah was trying to tell them and that. And so it's important that we recognize how devastating this was. And I think sometimes we, we see the cute little ark and we see the animals walking up into it, but we don't realize how life-changing, how big this was going to become in a very short order in that um, when this flood started. And yet, there again, God's grace, it took years they were consistent. They were, they were the silent witness, if you will. I don't know if he talked. I don't know if he preached on Sundays. I don't know any of that. It's not recorded for us. But the fact that here's this man devoting his life to building this thing. I, we have no idea what it is. It's out there in that field. He's going and getting wood and chopping it up and building it. And yet nobody listened to him. And they all walked by. There was hundreds of thousands, mil maybe millions of people walked by. God's mercy, and yet it was there. It was there every day, going on, and nobody listened. God's grace was exhibited for however long it took to build that item. 120 years, 120 years yeah. And that, thank you. And that, 
to build that. And yet he, they didn't listen. And so it's important we recognize that. We, we recognize God's grace. And so it wasn't just, I'm tired of mankind, snap your fingers, okay, let's start over. It wasn't that. He didn't just bring the rain. It took 120 years plus, you know, to bring this on. These men, when we start, when you start at the, the chapter 6, verse 1, they knew the story of creation. All these people knew all these years because one thing that they have in antiquity in the old days is everything is passed down word of mouth. And they were very accurate in what they did, much more so than we are today. We, we rely on media. We rely on uh, other things to create truth, written word and that. But in those days, they, they related these stories. They related what happened with Adam and Eve. They related what happened with Cain and so on and so forth. So it was passed down. So they knew that there was a God. And then we, you can also look at Genesis, or Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, where it talks about how they knew in their heart what the truth was, and yet they denied it. And here, there's a perfect example here in the, the life of Moses, or in Noah, in what he was doing. It took 120 years, and yet nobody, you know, eh, it's just okay, you know. He's just a crazy guy out there doing something, whatever, you know, and they, they didn't follow what God's grace was, what his mercy was in that. So, And God, uh, Guyan brings up the fact that there's another piece of wood that we call a cross that is the way to, to have a relationship with God the Father restored, and yet they're mocking that, and they provide other things, new age, other ways to get to God, and it's becoming more and more prevalent in this day. Even, you know, humanism, I am a God unto myself. You know, and then there's the pantheistic view that everything's a God. And then you have Islam. And you have all these worldviews that are competing against Christianity. But they're all mocking the cross that we have behind me here. And that. So, yes, it is. There's a day of judgment coming. But 2,000 years it's been going on since Christ died. And he was a testimony. And we see the, the faithfulness of church history. Not too long ago we studied the Apostles' Creed. And how that brought everybody to a sense of unity about what God had done to us. And then you have the other parts of church history that go on in that. All along there's always been a testimony of God. God's grace is overwhelming when you stop and think about it. He has not given anybody... Um, should be caught unawares, if you will, about, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Guyan brings up the point that Christ constantly warned about the tribulation to come and that. So um, in Genesis, let me, they have another little commentary I wanted to read here. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 uh, describes Noah as a righteous and blameless man. And I think this is good because too often we, we kind of get this uh, out of order, if you will. Does that mean he was sinless? Hardly. After the flood, he proved himself to be part of the same sinful human race that God grieved, that God's heart uh, grieved God's heart so deeply, and he had just destroyed. So, if righteousness doesn't mean that God did it, uh, Noah did it, did all the right things. What does it mean? What made God special? The verse before. Genesis 6, 8, tells us Noah found favor in God's sight. The word favor here means grace. You might want to make note of that. God didn't save Noah because he was righteous. Uh, 
Noah became righteous because he received God's gracious offer of salvation. Grace came first. Righteousness followed. That's why the author of Hebrews, when remembering Noah, said, By faith, Noah built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Only after responding in faith was Noah declared righteous. This is always the way people become righteous. It's that act of God's graciousness and the fact that he acted on in a, in a, because of faith. And that, so we need to recognize that as well. Um, another verse that you can look at, God is gracious. God's nature is to delight in giving unmerited favor and undeserving in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And it is important that we recognize that. And then, of course, Romans 6, 23 is the, the opposite of that. We all deserve death. And that's what the wages in Romans 6.23 speaks to that. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it talks about Jesus Christ being the righteous one who knew sin, for uh, took his sin upon himself in that. And that's, those are good verses to write down to. You can write them on the notes there that I gave. And then uh, the third point that they have that's on the handout there too is sin will not halt, halt God's uh, creative purpose. And that, um, and that kind of ties in. Uh, turn to Genesis chapter one. There's a couple of points I wanted to make, and we see it in the fact that his creative purposes didn't end. He brought animals on board the the ark so that it could continue to go on, so that his his creativeness would continue through more animals being born more humans being born the whole thing continuing on his purpose was going to do so in uh let's read uh genesis chapter one actually i want to read a little bit more than genesis just verse one because i want to follow up on a couple of those other points i have on that handout uh god blessed Noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply." oh before we do that go back in verse eight uh, verse 20. And this ties in with that, again, with that anthropomorphic language. And I have smelled pleasing aroma. And I, I know you guys understand that, but I wanted to give a definition. Uh, perceive the odor or scent through the nose by means of the olfactory nerves. Inhale the odor of. And that's what the idea of smelling is, or a pleasing aroma. And so if you look here, here's some of that language using our humanness, if you will, to describe God. And it says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of every kind of clean animal and every kind of clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. That took a little bit of time. When the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of man, even though man's inclination is evil from his youth. And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed, time, and harvest, cold and heat, winter, Summer, winter, day and night will not cease. And so, in response to global warming, we don't have to worry about it till God returns in that. It's not that it's not going to get unpleasant. It's not that the floodwaters might go up here and there, and we see that down, I think, Texas right now is getting hammered. But uh, we need to recognize that God is faithful. He is going to take care of us. He's going to take care of humanity. He's going to give everybody the opportunity to come to saving faith. Um, 
throughout until he says, I'm done. We're going into a different phase, which Guyana's mentioned earlier is a tribulation. So um, anyway, I thought that was good that here again is that idea of anthropomorphic language, how we can inter how we can interact with God and understand who he is in that. And then uh, let me read down through here. I think I got enough time. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. The fear and terror of you will be in every living creature on the earth. Thankfully, with the bears, that's true. They ran away from me, and I'm glad. There's three of us that appreciated that. They, uh, every bird of the sky, every creature that crawls on the ground, and all the fish of the sea, they are placed under your authority. Important word, your authority. Every living creature will be food for you. No longer vegetarians. We're now omnivores. Yes. As I give the green plants, I have given you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its lifeblood in it. In other words, you're not to eat it while it's still alive. You see wild animals do that. Sometimes the animal isn't even dead, and they're already munching on it. I will require the life of every animal and every man for your life. And... Your blood, I require the life of each man's brother for a man's life. Whoever sheds man's blood, his blood will be shed by man, for God made man in his image. But you, be fruitful, multiply, spread out over the earth, and multiply on it. Uh, Daryl made the point about government. This is the introduction of government. When you take a life, a premeditated murder is what this is referring to, God says your life will be taken. And this is the introduction of that government, the idea that man governs mankind in that. And so we see it here. Um, I put down there capital punishment, uh, Genesis 9, and then also to reference back to Genesis 4. Uh, God didn't take Cain's life. That was inter introduced later, and it's introduced here in, in Genesis chapter 9. So recognize that. And that, and then also I put in there the fact that we're no longer vegetarians. So for those of us who like bacon, yes, and that I'm thankful for that, very thankful. Um, it's important for us to recognize how God, why God did what He did. In, capital punishment was instituted because we're created in the image of God, and so when we take another life in the idea of plotting murder like what Cain did and that's our example when you see that he plotted he planned it out we're now acting as God and God says that's not to be in the same way with animals we're not to when an animal and that's why usually when an animal kills a human being they're put to death and that goes back to this it isn't because of the humanists it isn't because of the current social trends it goes back to what's stated here throughout history and that and so it's important to recognize that as well um, and I think I had there's some other verses I wanted to read there just a minute yeah 12 through 15 if you will and then uh, and this is a sign of the covenant that God made with mankind uh, this is a sign of the covenant I'm making uh, between me and you and every living creature with you a covenant for all future generations I have placed my bow in the clouds and will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I form clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures. Water will never again become a flood to destroy every creature. The bow will be in the clouds and I will look at it and remember the everlasting 
covenant between God and all living creatures on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have confirmed between me and every creature on the earth. Why wasn't there rainbows prior to the flood? There was no rain, exactly. And that. So we see that as a result of the flood, there's this atmospheric change that took place. And now we have rainbows. And they make a point of stating that um, the idea of, well, let me read I don't have time. Anyway, the idea that it's a war bow is what this word is referring to, and it's bowed toward God. Um, well, let me read it. <laughs> We associate rainbows with scenes of peace and tranquility, but the word uh, for bow in this passage means a war bow. God laid down his war bow in the heavens. In fact, if you look at the direction the bow points, you'll notice that the, it points upward toward heaven rather than downward toward the earth. God will not accomplish his ultimate salvation by shooting the arrows of his wrath into men by absorbing them into himself. When you see God's war bow painted upward, the parallels with Jesus and the sacrifice for sin on the cross begin to come into focus. And again, that's a, a metaphor that they're drawing out of this. I think it's important that we, we look at a rainbow and we reflect on the fact of God's grace and mercy and the fact that he will not destroy the world again in that way. And it's a beautiful thing. And unfortunately, it's been hijacked again by a very secular um, sexualized group of our society to, to represent them and that saddens me that that's the case but we can look at it and we know because we have the truth of the word of God of what a rainbow is and that and again it, it, we should always look at it reflect on God's grace and mercy and his love toward us as human beings and looking forward looking toward the cross in the gospels looking down the road and that's what this is Noah's a picture of that he was a a, a, a form of salvation that nobody bought into. Nobody accepted what, what, Moses, or what Noah had to offer. And yet God was saying, here it is, and is pointing toward Christ and his death on the cross for us. And that. So any comments or questions before we close in prayer? Yes. Yes, yes. Certainly, very much so. Um, Karen brought out the point that we can use the rainbow as a, as a form of testimony against those who have hijacked it. And she's right. She's correct. We can do that. I certainly would encourage anybody that can use that to do that because it is important in that. So, okay. If that's all, let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time we've had to look at Noah's life, what he did, how he was declared righteous by your grace, and he acted on it by faith. We pray that we can understand more significantly how evil the world was at that time. And that you provided a way. You provided 100 plus years for us to look at it and still reject your offer of salvation. I pray that as we live in this day and age that we can continue to be a testimony for you and show your way of salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.